Hey everyone, welcome to 10 Movies, where every season we focus on one actor through 10 of their most iconic movies. This season, we're going deep into Dwayne The Rock Johnson, a cultural and now cinematic touchstone. I'm Hemel Javeri, and with me, as always, is my wonderful co-host and friend, Brian Minter. Hemel, I could not be more excited about this season of the podcast. We're going to watch so many The Rock movies. We're going to watch so many Rock movies. This episode, we're going deep on The Rock's 2015 disaster epic, San Andreas. Rubber bullets. Big mistake. Woman, I am the Calvary. I'm what you call an ice cold can of whoop ass. You want to catch wolves? You need wolves. Let's go hunt. Now, one problem I want us to address right up top here. Let's do it. What do we call the man? Because his mama named him Dwayne. He wants to be called Dwayne. And yet every single person I know, including myself and yourself, always calls him The Rock. He's credited in San Andreas as Dwayne Johnson. And I have never seen a man less look like a Dwayne <laughs> than The Rock. He's, he's just going to be known as The Rock. Yeah, so The Rock was his character from pro wrestling, right? Like, he has yes. never actually acted as The Rock. No, and by the way, if you're here because you think that this is a podcast about pro wrestling, it's not. Yeah, you will need to unsubscribe <laughs> as quickly as you can because you will you will not get what you're after. So we should call, well, you know, I think we should try to call him Dwayne, uh, but we're going to end up calling him The Rock. He's credited in San Andreas as Dwayne Johnson. So you might call him The Rock. Uh, you might call him Dwayne. We're going to try for Dwayne. Yeah. So, yeah, the man's name is Dwayne Johnson, but America knows him as The Rock. And we will try to honor both his wishes and uh, the desires of the proletariat. All right. So let's talk about the plot of San Andreas. Uh, a bunch of buildings fall down. Is that more or less it? <laughs> Before. Okay. Here's how... Here is how it's described. In the aftermath of a massive earthquake in California, a rescue chopper pilot makes a dangerous journey with his ex-wife across the state in order to rescue their daughter. Are you reading some sort of pre-written <laughs> marketing copy to that's, explain the movie? That's from the IMDb blurb. But uh, if you have not seen San Andreas, which is literally rerun into the ground on every cable channel imaginable, it is a great big giant disaster epic uh, that we don't see very much of anymore, actually. It is a big stupid movie jam-packed with explosions and buildings falling down. Well, yeah, I agree. I feel like in the in the, the mid-aughts, every other movie was a disaster movie, but I, I think we were culturally sated and I have not seen many of them recently. San Andreas, very quickly, the plot is that Dwayne Johnson, he plays a helicopter pilot. I think the character's name is Ray Gaines. Completely irrelevant what this guy's name is. He's always going to be the rock. Uh, he has to. He is stranded with his ex-wife, played by Carla Gugino, and they're across there in L.A. and they're trying to go to San Francisco to save their daughter, Alexandra Daddario. Yes, all of California is being racked by what earthquakes? Yeah, earthquakes, massive earthquakes. Massive earthquakes. The big one has hit. And they're going from L.A., which has been destroyed, to San Francisco, which has also been destroyed, to rescue their daughter. It's a relatively simple plot because the plot is not important in this film. It is all about spectacle. It's all about watching things get destroyed. It's all about watching Dwayne Johnson, you know, try to do one crazy daring rescue after another. Now, there is, you forgot to mention a 
second, much smaller movie that uh, runs alongside of the other movie, which is Paul Giamatti as the head earthquake scientist who uh, you think is going to meet the other characters in the film, but never does. He just comes on screen. Every third scene is him flapping around his laboratory, shouting about made-up science terms. <laughs> he He's there to give the movie some kind of credibility, and it doesn't need it. No, it's, it doesn't need it. It's, no. a, it's, a, it's a weird that he's there, because, yeah, this movie, all the science in this movie is completely made up. Like, buildings don't fall that way. Fault lines don't behave that way. So the fact that we have Paul Giamatti like pop it on screen to like ramble a crazy made up sign stuff so often was baffling to me. (laughs) I think they felt like Paul Giamatti gave the film a little bit more depth and gravitas and some kind of grounding in like a larger, broader context of the world, except it just slowed down the action. You know, something crazy would happen and then you got Paul Giamatti talking about fake science on TV. Yeah, what I what I was 100% convinced was going to happen when you met the Paul Giamatti, because Paul Giamatti's funny and he's fun to watch. I was like, oh, later in the movie, of course, he's going to meet the main characters and there's going to be a scene where he's like on the phone shouting, you know, flange the seismometer, the rock, and you stop the thing or something. But no, no. they never meet. The whole movie goes through. It was threw me off. Completely. No, and there's and Archie Punjabi plays a TV news reporter who is there to help get the message out. Again, these yes, are... Yes, she met them both. I thought that was going to be the connection. No. But no. No, there's just an entire B-plot that does not matter at all happening in here. And it's not like it was a couple scenes of the science guy like a quarter of the movie is this science guy who has no relationship to the story of the other characters well he's predicting the earthquake i mean i guess he's supposed to build suspense because yeah he's constantly like that earthquake was awful but the next earthquake that's happening tomorrow will be even worse but a lot of that that goes a very very far away a little bit of that I think I might know the answer to this question. I already got us right off track. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I know the answer to this question, but Brian, did you like the movie? No, it was it was, it was a stupid movie. What? You but you now had you had seen this before, right? Yours is a favorite of yours. So I have cable TV. I know a lot of people don't have cable. I have I am not a cord cutter, but it's rerun on cable all the time. So whether or not I want to watch San Andreas twenty times, you have no choice. But I have to watch no it. choice but to watch it. <laughs> well, you have Stockholm syndrome if well, you like the film. Well, I think. Well, I like the movie because I've seen it so often that now these characters are my family. Like, I watched San Andreas last night in preparation to do this, and it's probably the 10th time I've seen the movie. Uh, And I do like the film, actually. I think that it succeeds because it doesn't really try to be anything else aside from a big spectacle of disaster making. I think spectacle is the right word. But, like, there were parts in the early going where I, like you could enjoy the big dumb moviness of it, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a scene where the Paul Giamatti and his friend, like his friend, the Hoover Dam explodes and they rescue a kid and his friend dies. And there's a scene where Carla Gugino, the ex, Gugino, the ex-wife, she's in a building that's collapsing and she's jumping from thing to thing. And those scenes are implausible, but they're genuinely like suspenseful. But then as is always the case with disaster movies and superhero movies, the filmmakers feel like they need to constantly broaden the scope until it's just this mush of like, I got so sick of of like digital buildings falling down in every frame it just became it just it's i was totally numb to it by the time we got to the final third of the movie interesting i didn't think that i think that the digital buildings falling down is exactly why people make this kind of movie but, but do it once or twice don't do it 30 times i i don't know I'll, I'll grant you that you felt like it was too much but to me the intersection of uh, 
having like those suspenseful rescue scenes, right? They are they did such a really good job of ratcheting up the tension with every one of those rescue scenes where one problem leads to another problem leads to another problem and to the point where it's already implausible but it keeps getting more implausible by the minute but it's great that's what the spectacle is there for so i i appreciated all of it by my 10th time watching it you know what i believe that Dwayne johnson and carla gugino <laughs> are in a strange married couple and that they have reconciled i'm all in I, yeah, I guess. Like, there's a shot early in the movie that was really, like, really grabbed you. Like, he's in his helicopter, mm-hmm. and, like, in the background, like, out of the corner of his eye, you see an overpass collapse and a car falls off it. And it's horrifying because uh, you it looks like it really happened. But that's because it's one car and one bridge, and it happens in the background. When it's, like... Millions of people dying in an exploding building in every frame and you're just being forced to look at that I just I got so numb to it and it just became like visual mush to me I will allow that (laughs) I won't I won't fight you too much on that one Um, But no, I did like it because I think that The rock also has a lot to do with why I liked it. I think that he's well cast in this film he can he can carry a movie like and he, this. Yes, and he carries this movie, and he has to carry the movie. I don't think that had it been another actor, it would have worked. Well, I want to talk about The Rock, as is our project here on the Ten Movies podcast. Uh, should we first talk about the other uh, major characters in the uh, in the story? Well, let's do that. Let's talk about Carla Gugino. She plays Emma Gaines, his estranged wife. She's fine. Like I've seen her in other stuff, and I think she's like great at doing this like tough, hot, sassy broad that takes no crap from anybody. She's like a like a Jennifer Lopez kind of actress. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she felt a little like you know she felt a little un- unnecessary or unimportant. Well, I thought she's very important since the entire emotional arc of the film is the family reuniting. So yeah, but you yeah. don't need any of that stuff. I, it's, I that's mean, not uh, the point of this movie. Well, th- that's what gives it stakes. Is that he has to not just save his daughter, but he has to reconcile with his ex-wife and resolve himself of the guilt of having his other daughter drown. So that was, I didn't, <laughs> so yeah, so in the movie, right off the bat, you meet the ex-wife and you don't know like, oh, why are they divorced? Because he's this incredibly like classy, respectful, like wonderful dad. And he's a, a handsome brood of a man. Why did she just divorce him? And then you, at one point you see a picture of like, oh, they had two daughters. Where's the other daughter? And you find out that she drowned, uh, which they, in one point they even dramatized that. Like he flashes back and they show the drowning. And like, I felt that like in a movie like this, you like, don't- I don't really need to know about his guilt and his ghost. I need him to like leap on a crane and like you know punch a building okay so what i'm hearing is that you're emotionally <laughs> closed off and that you have no no guff for any of this well there was a scene where the two of them are in a car right like at one point increasingly implausibly they keep like destroying vehicles as they attempt to cross california and then at one point they're just driving a truck to the other city and they have this kind of long like oh he's finally opening up about the guild about the other daughter dying and she finally understands why their marriage ended and it's actually a fairly well done scene right like it's very believable but it don't, like this movie doesn't seem to need any of that kind of thing. Okay, I am going to say that it needs it only because you can't keep putting uh, the audience through intense uh, escape scenario and rescue scenario after they need quiet moments in the film and this is what it was. Like you could have made the quiet moments be comedic, but they went with like heartfelt and touching. It was just a rest from spectacle <laughs> is what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that is Carly Gugino. Let's talk about Alexandria Daddario, who plays the daughter Blake Gaines. 
So in my research for this, she was about 29 when she played this, like almost 30, and she's supposed to play like a 19-year-old. So Yeah, uh, I was glad you told me that she was actually in her late 20s because the movie is constantly inviting us to ogle her. And not that I think you should ogle 29-year-olds, but it, feel, it certainly feels better being asked to do that than a 19-year-old. Mm. I mean, she's always wearing, they always got her like wet in tank tops for no reason. There's, on, a, there's a lot of... Uh, Let's just say that there's a lot of performative feminism that comes with this character, which we can talk about later. Yeah, she's kind of, she's always, they're always like, oh, she's so smart and she's got to figure it all out, but she's really the damsel in distress. Right, and so Alexander, her, her character's name is Blake, and Blake is paired up with this, like, British dude and this British dude's younger brother who's, oh, right. like... Very, the, I forgot about that. I saw this <laughs> movie two days ago. I forgot about the British guy. The, she's paired with the British guy and, like, the British guy's younger brother. So they form, like, their own pseudo-family unit, and they're, you know, escaping their own disasters while... Uh, her parents try to come get to her. So I'll say this for her, and I had never seen her in anything. She's yeah. one of those people that, like, I recognized her when I saw her. Um, so, yeah, there's a, she's, like, this sort of second plot of the movie, and she's not with The Rock for, for almost any of the stuff. Uh, so we get a lot of her on her own. She has these two British boyfriends who are really bland and boring. And yet, I think those, like, I wasn't like we cut to those scenes. I'm like, oh, no, we're back to the daughter. Like, I enjoyed those just as much. Yeah. So I think, you know, whatever you think of how the movie treats her, I think she carries those scenes well. Like, she's a very, like, charismatic performer. And you, like, believe that she's doing all this stuff. I do. I, I felt like she was very competent. I felt like, oh, she's totally got this. I bought her as the Rock's daughter, right? I was like, yes, yeah, see. A man like that would raise a very competent woman like this. He might have raised her that way, but he's a, like, black Samoan and Carla Gugino, you know, seems Mediterranean, Italian descent, and Alexandria Daddario is white (laughs) as the driven snow. So I'm not sure how she came from that marriage, genetically speaking. Do you want to talk about the rockness of the film? Let's talk about the rock. That's why people are here. (laughs) So why are we deciding to focus on The Rock this season? Let's talk about that first. Right. Okay. Well, I'll tell you why I thought we should do The Rock. And then I would love to hear why you readily agreed to it. Okay. (laughs) What we'd like to do here in the 10 Movies podcast is take culture as we find it, right? It, It is not my place to say whether... People should enjoy The Rock's big dumb films or not. Uh, It is my place to attempt to understand why. People love these movies. Everyone's seen all these movies. People love this guy. I actually haven't seen a ton of his movies. So A, I'm interested in talking about what is it about him and these movies that people enjoy so much. And B, you know, we we want people to listen to our podcast because it's excellent. (laughs) So let's pick movies that people have seen. No, I agree with you. I, I think that's the main reason is that The Rock is not somebody who you think of as a actor with like a capital A, but he has huge cultural capital in our society. He is continually picked to start in huge blockbuster films. And I'd like to talk more about that. Yeah. The man does like 10 movies a year. He's like yeah. the best paid actor in the world. <laughs> so there's, there's something going on here with this guy. Um, so there's a couple of things watching San Andreas that uh, I saw in terms of like being really quintessential to the parts that The Rock plays, like some physicality that he just cannot escape and other more ambiguous things that casting The Rock brings to your movie. Uh, all right, so he's he's gigantic. That's primarily why people cast him, right? He's an immense man. That's one of the primary reasons I think so, because if you need an action hero, he's got to be your go-to guy. He's and like a, two action heroes stapled together. And a very particular action hero of our moment, right? Like he's not a 
Tom Cruise, who's a little bit more cerebral and everyday action hero. He's very much like almost a superhero level action hero. Yeah, I think like I think certainly in this movie he is playing a superhero. It's yeah. not it's not overtly in the text that he's a superhero, but we are encouraged to see him as uh, someone who can who can solve any problem and never does anything wrong. What about how big are his muscles in this film? Are they average size, above average size, like unbelievable? You, well, is our baseline here <laughs> The Rock in other films, or is it normal human men? I think it can be both. Well, he's three times as big as a normal human man. <laughs> Uh, I, I I feel like I've seen him in other movies where he's even more immense somehow, but he's a he's a, he just he's a huge person. He's a he's a complete Hulk of a man. So I have seen him, and I'm thinking very particular about one scene right now, which is a scene from Hobbs and Shaw where he is literally with his bare hands, like stopping a helicopter from taking <laughs> off. Um, so compared to that time in Hobbs and Shaw, he's got normal human man muscles. Yeah, and like he's not. I feel like a lot of the times the movies make him shirtless and, and punching. Uh, this character doesn't actually do any shirtless punching, right? No. Like, most of the... Like, there are some times when, like, he uses his, like, brute force. Like, he'll smash a door or something. But for the most part, the character Ray... Like, I think he's coded as the most macho dude you can possibly be, but it's not physical force. It's more about, like, he has all these skills, and he has this sort of, like, mental discipline, and he's, like, Mr. Cool in a crisis. He's also middle-aged dad now, right? Like, he's not playing The Rock like the WWE star, right? He's playing Dwayne Johnson as just, like, a big, muscly dad. Yeah, he's the yeah. biggest, muscliest dad of them all. <laughs> uh, another thing about the Rock in movies: emotional accessibility. Is he emotionally accessible or inaccessible? I want to talk about this. Oh, you clearly, because that's. Yeah, I feel like you, that's a loaded question. Like I don't know. He's like he's not. He, he, has, he has no one... emotions. He has no emotions in this film. He had like his, the whole role of this film is to try to get him to feel an emotion. But uh, he doesn't like he's emotionally inaccessible. Like that's his whole. That's like the appealing factor of it. Yeah, this character is not really a person, right? He's just like a like a collection of of, of masculine traits, all you know, sewn together in a, in a in a jumpsuit. What about his moral goodness? Well, <laughs> I've got some things to say about that. Ooh, I yeah. want to hear them. Well, is, I think is this... now the time to talk about those. Well, things? so you know, we like to talk about whether or not the film was woke. Yeah. So let, let, let's put a pin in that. I, okay. I feel like this film is uh, aggressively non-woke in a way that is directly about how the character of Ray is portrayed. Wow. Okay. I have so many things to say about this. All right. We'll, we'll come back to that. All right. Well, we'll kind of come back to that. But I only have a couple of questions before. Is there any man or woman who can challenge the Rock <laughs> in this film? <laughs> Not only is there no man or woman, <laughs> there like a tsunami and a falling and at least two dozen falling skyscrapers and multiple earthquakes and a chasm the size of the Grand Canyon. None of them can challenge the rocks, uh, the rock sheer immense braveness. And I'm really glad you said that because that's the whole point of the film is that you need something to equal uh, like to be a good foil for the rock and it's not another person like it cannot be another human being it has to be huge massive natural disasters that can test the rock because no other man or woman absolutely could <laughs> yeah thanos riding on john mcclain from die hard <laughs> each wielding a shark would be would be child's play for this man so right. they have to throw a tsunami at him <laughs> right they have to throw not just a tsunami but like a giant tanker 
comes at him during a tsunami <laughs> and then they have to escape the propellers like that is a challenge for the rock kids if you're out there and you're watching san andreas that's not how tsunamis work in <laughs> fact nothing that happens in this movie is how that actually works just, just watch it with a real big grain of salt <laughs> also hey i i'm on this topic for a minute here yeah buildings don't fall down like that Two hundred thousand tons of concrete and steel half a mile in the sky do not fall to the side they fall straight down and I'm, again, I will forgive a lot of bad science, but this movie relies so heavily on the visual of a huge building falling like buildings don't fall like coat racks. <laughs> like we think they do because we've seen coat racks fall, but skyscrapers go straight down. But that never happens in this movie. That's interesting because I just assumed that a skyscraper would like tilt left or tilt right and just like fall like dominoes. So. No, think of the kinetic energy <laughs> latent in a skyscraper. It's... <laughs> There's no those HVAC systems alone weigh six tons. They're a mile in the sky. They're right. not going to fall sideways across the city. They're going to fall straight down. All right. Well, that gives me a little bit more hope, I guess, during the if there's a big earthquake. Um, my next yeah, question. If there was really if, if if God forbid an earthquake of that magnitude actually hit San Francisco, Los Angeles, it wouldn't level the entire city like it does here. It would be terrible. But the buildings would mostly all survive. They know how to build buildings that don't fall down like matchsticks in an earthquake. Okay, well, that's not an interesting movie. I didn't go watch <laughs> no, it. I agree. I agree. <laughs> that's not an interesting movie. All right. Uh, does this movie have to star The Rock? What they should have had was the Paul Giamatti <laughs> character come on like, and talk, like break the fourth wall and be like, hey, everybody, that was really fun when The Rock punched that building falling sideways. In actuality, buildings don't fall like that. Like that, I would have enjoyed the film much more if he had been ironically commenting on the bad science of the film. You know, I agree. I think that if you watch it 10 times in a row, all these objections will be gone. All right. Answer my question. <laughs> well, sorry, what's your question? Answer my question. Does this movie have to star The Rock? Oh, as opposed to some other uh, yeah. giant hulking. Well, I mean, like, no, I feel like, so maybe there are some roles where, like, you've got to have The Rock. But I feel like any kind of generic action star could have done this because, A, like we said, he's not doing, like, his, like, shirtless punching that maybe only he can do. And he's not even doing that kind of, like, arched brow deadpan thing that mm -hmm. I think he does to great effect in some mm -hmm. movies. Like, this mm -hmm. character is such a cipher that, yeah, anybody could have played him. Oh, interesting. I thought that this movie had to star The Rock, but I think you might be right. He's not doing a lot of physical stuff. He's just doing a lot of... Um, like competent stuff, like competently flying a helicopter, jumping off of a rope, and you could have had uh, another action star do this. Though I will say, I think we are in short supply of action stars. Yeah, you couldn't have, you know, Ben Affleck or Matthew Broderick do this. It would have to be a certain kind of dude. But... Matthew Broderick? Why would? <laughs> why does he even come up? But yeah, like you know, uh, okay. you know, Ving Rhames could have done this, or maybe. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, you're right. I'm drawing a blank. We have a real dearth of those kind of big, you yeah. Know, super we action we have dudes. like a huge. We have a huge gaping you know hole where we need to be filled with tom cruise like action figures but, yeah, we don't. but, but yeah really like take tom cruise like he does all these like the mission impossible movies he's doing this kind of stuff i don't think i would have enjoyed tom cruise as much in this role even though i didn't really love this movie but like i don't i think he could have probably done the same kind of thing yeah if you if you get a big muscly actor to play this ray the helicopter pilot it would have worked just as well do you want to talk about uh, we talked about this moral goodness thing do you want to talk about how woke this film is do you think do you think do you think the film is woke is san andreas a woke movie no i actually don't think it's a woke movie yeah i don't either i think it's uh, i think it's reactionary in fact i think there's and i don't want to get too i don't want to rant about this too much but i think there's a real ideological distastefulness to not so much the character of ray but what the movie wants us to think about the character of ray i don't know if this is like the same vein that you are on about the, his 
about his like absolute goodness to me every time the rock is on screen and again i've seen him in several movies right he plays a character who has moral goodness but that moral goodness is framed as institutional goodness like he's either a military guy or he plays like a he's an lapd or a los angeles fire department helicopter pilot here right so it's not just moral goodness but it's institutional goodness yeah there's definitely a like a i think it's kind of an ugly and unhealthy trend in our culture where like certainly more like reactionary Tea Party types, like really fetishize law enforcement and military. Yeah. And the thing they fetishize isn't even like public service or upholding a social contract. It's like gear and training and mm-hmm. like badassness. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think it's unfortunate that like, yeah, I think you're right that like The Rock in particular is the kind of person who is always playing that dude. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's a little bit dumb. But is that your point about what bothered you about his no? So character? I, I I don't love that. Yeah, I don't love that we're like it all like in the literally in the very first scene, the first thing you learn is like he was a soldier. He's not just a helicopter pilot. He was a fighting warrior guy. So yeah, I, I don't love that. Like we have to always see that kind of guy. Uh, but I don't really care. That's fine if that's mm-hmm. what revs your engine. So be it. But here's the my problem with 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 this character and the way the movie portrays him he's this like incredibly resourceful skill he has this really specialized skill set like mm-hmm. and the movie is constantly reminding us that he's a rescuer right like he rescues someone in the first scene that no one else could have done and his wife at one point's like if you couldn't have rescued our drowning daughter no one could have and the kid's like my dad's here he rescues everybody so the movie is always ringing this bell but here's this guy who we are led to believe is like world-class people saver. And he's, he's not even like a grunt. He's like a leader. Let me point he says he's a boss. Yep. So, so here he is. Yep. He's been given all this training yep. by the people of Los Angeles. He's been given this like rescue helicopter that I, has got to cost as much as an elementary school. <laughs> the only reason you do stuff like that is because you're going to need them when the shit gets bad. And he is shown to us over again as the only guy, the best guy. So when the shit really does hit, what does he do? He steals the <laughs> helicopter. He abdicates his duty. He steals the helicopter. He goes to... The, so he completely uh, dishonorable actions, I would call that. He's, he's derelict in the one thing he's promised to do and the thing he has been trained and equipped to do at great expense. And then he just farts off to go and like save his wife and his daughter. But the thing that so it wasn't even that that bothered me, though, the movie, what the movie could have done, but I deliberately chose not to, is have a moment when he makes a choice, right? Like his boss or his guys is like, Rock, where are you? We need you. You know, people are falling off buildings. You're the only guy. And he's like, no, I'm only saving one person today. And that's my daughter. The movie doesn't even do that. It has him make this like really immoral choice. But then it wants us to constantly applaud, like every scene, we're all like the flags flapping, we're supposed to salute the guy, and he just, he broke the helicopter, like how many people didn't get saved because this guy was just further farting across the country, and yet the movie is constantly pointing this like, I don't know, Tea Party libertarian wet dream ideal of him as the ultimate like honorable dude. You know what it is? It is absolutely about... uh, our recent fascination with uh, the primacy of the individual versus the collective good. Yeah, exactly. So it's very, I I had the same thought, not to the extent that you did while I was watching the film, but I, you can't see me at home, but I'm nodding along to what Brian is saying because I was like, shouldn't he be helping people in LA? You've got a job to do, buddy. Why did you leave it? Now is the time where they need you more than ever. And like, no offense. Like, yes, it's important for you to go rescue your daughter, but honestly, she's really competent and she can kind of handle her own shit. 
shit, right? You've got people who are dying in LA and you could have saved like 30 lives doing the thing that you were trained to do your entire life. Yeah, and he crashed the helicopter. He should have left yeah. the goddamn helicopter so they could have saved some people with and, it. And I understand that, like, but they didn't, but you're right. They don't even have him struggle with that choice of like, do I stay and help like all these strangers who are, whose lives are just as meaningful or do I fuck off and take a very valuable resource yeah. to uh, San Francisco to in, in the vague hopes of finding my daughter. Yeah, this is his job. He's right. promised to do it. Yeah. He breaks that promise. And yet not only does the movie not present that choice, I think the movie is like you said, the movie is constantly applauding him as like a lone wolf, self-sufficient, you know, like modern day every man. They're valorizing the choice yeah, of totally. uh, disregarding the rest of society. Does not matter what those guys are doing, but I'm going to go look after my own kind, right? Yeah, and if he was some kind of lone wolf, militia, homesteader, vigilante type, okay, the character's set up to that way. But he's set up as this super honorable, like, saver of people, and he doesn't do any of that. In fact, there's one scene late in the film where he saves some people, like, accidentally. Like, he yeah. saw that, like, oh, this building's gonna fall. And he's like, everybody, that building's gonna fall. Go over here, stand next to a different building. And they're like, oh my God, thank you, The Rock. And I think the movie is, again, asking us to salute him in that moment. But it just reminded me, like, oh yeah, shit, this is your job that we, like, trained you and paid you to do that you're currently not doing. You could have saved a hundred people like that if yeah. you hadn't farted off and smashed the helicopter no i completely agree with that and you're right the fact that it isn't even really a choice it is really frustrating and again it speaks very much to the fact that like a lot of times people just don't give a shit about the collective good right it is very much about the what the individual can do for themselves and i think people uh, certainly people in my personal life when i go on <laughs> rants like this will say like oh you're that's not you know you're overthinking it's not that big. but that's how like ideology is created and maintained right yes. like this movie like you said it's on tbs every weekend we are asked to like look at this guy's choices and be like what a i want to be that guy he's an yes. awesome hero yeah but he's not an awesome hero he is like, he has committed dishonorable actions and the movie doesn't even have the courage to like because that would be a hard choice to make, right? You're like, oh shit, I actually have the ability and equipment to save my daughter, but I'm not going to do it to go save 100 other people. It doesn't even ask him to make that choice. Right, and that conflict between professional good and the common good versus individual uh you know, individual good and what is good for me would be really interesting tension in a movie like this, but they don't care about that, yeah, right? Yeah, this it's, not interested the, in it's interesting not. tension. And I don't know, man, you've made me really think about this. Now I'm really frustrated because <laughs> well, I Well, I didn't realize you were a reactionary Tea Party Libertarian <laughs> type, Hemel. I'm a little disappointed, but I, we can still be friends. Um, well, my main beef with the film was just in terms of its uh, kind of performative fem feminism that's happening with Alexandria Daddario. Like, you are meant to see her as, like, awesome and competent American woman, but only as long as it's referenced continuously throughout the fact that she is somebody's daughter not just her own person right? yeah every time she like oh i know how to hack into the emergency band i know how to like connect this thing the british boyfriends go how oh, did you learn how to do that and she's like <laughs> my dad taught me exactly like she's not even her own person she's nothing in this movie is because she learned how to do it on her own or is even given credit for the fact that she knows how to do it is all just referenced back to patriarchal learning right like my dad taught me how to do it because he's the greatest guy ever which always 
and that's how people want to view feminism, right? You can be competent and you can be tough in a scenario as long as you realize that you will always be somebody's daughter. You will never be your own person. You will always be, you know, second to a man. And he's coming to rescue you. The and he's coming time. to like, rescue you at the yeah, end. Yeah, at one point, in fact, like she's leaving with her British boyfriend and her tiny British boyfriend, and like all these people are, and you can, they're walking out of the city. There's even a shot of like people crossing the Golden Gate Bridge to like the safety of the San Marino County headlands beyond or whatever that is. <laughs> And she's like, no, we have to go the opposite direction into the earthquake because my dad's going to save us. If they had just walked out of the city, (laughs) they would have been fine. fine, And The Rock could have done his job back in Los Angeles. And again, it it is like super frustrating. Um, You brought up the British boyfriends and I want to talk about them for a second. I've already forgotten. Oh, right. Yes. British boyfriends. They're so bland. The British boyfriends were brilliant. But at first I bugged up on the fact that it's a random British dude. But there's a reason that he's British. There's a reason that he's British? There's a reason that he's British because... Is it because the actor's British and they didn't (laughs) want to bother to do any accent training? I googled this the actor is actually australian what (laughs) (laughs) why is it what it doesn't matter that he was british why bother so i thought a lot about this because i was like why the hell is this guy british like what the hell is this are they trying to class up the movie by making him (laughs) british no it's because in in that scenario where she is you know she's leading them towards safety and stuff like that they wanted you to think uh, oh she's a powerful woman and she's a feminist but she cannot be that way if she is butting up against another american male but if you make the guy british who americans will obviously think of as you know just stereotypically weaker <laughs> and a little bit more i don't know less competent in situations huh. like this she like she has much more agency because she's not equal to an american man and she can never be better than an american man but she can be better than a british man that so, is the entire reason <laughs> i didn't pick up on any of that i didn't know that but that absolutely like if you look at this movie as having an ideological perspective that absolutely falls into this ideological perspective yeah, because can you imagine if it was just another american guy right he would be absolutely emasculated if she was the one who was making all of the decisions and then to go back and try to be a love interest after this woman has emasculated you it doesn't work american audiences would not buy so we it as too. americans basically accept british men as women <laughs> In terms of the the, the mental hierarchy of, is, of inferiority. That is what this movie is basically <laughs> saying, right? Because she's not going to marry a man who is going to challenge her father in terms of like... Uh, uh, dominance. But do we not look down on Australians? Do they like? <laughs> I think no. I, you have Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, right? I feel like yeah. you know, culturally speaking, we would look at the British as like more pushovers, but not the Australians. Yeah. So yeah, he had to do a different, a different uh, post-colonial accent. I what about like, the little British boyfriend? Is he really British or is he? The little yeah, he's um he's really British, and I think he is he's from Game of Thrones, like the little like the little ten year old brother who is in this as well. You know, if you're gonna have a kid actor in your movie, at least have him be real cute. Like, that guy wasn't even that cute. He was just he's like a, cute. He's not. He's not that. You could he could have been cuter. Uh, I think that I have learned a lot actually from this woke segment. So this is not a woke film at all. This no, is aggressively anti woke. This is yeah. aggressively anti woke, and again, just trying to play at wokeness. But if you bother to just scratch the surface, there's very little wokeness in this uh, film. Andreas uh, is patriarchal right-wing propaganda, and if you enjoy it, well, what is what? Look into yourself. What does that say about you? <laughs> I, I mean, I still like it. Um, all right, we're about to wrap this up, but I have a couple of things that I want to get into. What's the best rescue scene in this film? Let me let me list them for you first. Yeah, oh, oh, you, there's okay. a lot. The car rescue, where the British boyfriend who has been emasculated goes to save Blake. 
That's oh, that one. was a good one because good he had one. to use like he had to use like engineering thinking to get her out. Right, but not physical competence because that can't happen. Yeah, so she's tra- there's a there's a pillar on the car and she's trapped inside and like they're trying to like push it off and they can't because they're just too like weak British you know basically women by American standards they can't do it so they jack it up with a car jack and it's still not quite enough so he punctures the tires yeah. to bring it down a little so yeah I did like that. So there's a car scene. There's the helicopter roof rescue that we talked about earlier where Carlo Gugino is on the top of a big building and he's coming to rescue her on uh-huh, his right. fancy helicopter. It was like a video game. That yes. One. There is the water rescue at the end. There has been a giant tsunami and Blake is basically drowning and she drowns and then he has to go save her. Oh, that Technically, was... is that saving? Because she kind of dies for like five minutes. And I feel like the movie was, like the movie was clearly like, remember when his other daughter died? <laughs> you don't need that. Yeah. Like you would save your daughter because she's your daughter, not because like, oh shit, my other daughter died not yeah. this one too you didn't need any of that <laughs> no, stuff no no you didn't also i mean talk about insane levels of trauma that you were dealing with right <laughs> to lose one daughter to a drowning death and then have to watch another daughter you, i wondered this when i was watching it yeah she's out for like she's she doesn't she, breathe for like 10 minutes, 10 minutes. don't like, you suffer brain damage yeah or something like she's that not happens? okay she's not okay <laughs> um all right best rescue which is the best rescue is that all the rescues Weren't that's there? all i can think of well there's the okay there's the uh, oh there's some other action stuff but those are really just the only rescues yeah well there's are... the opening rescue where they uh oh, yeah, well, we the established car. that they're that he's the badass because he rescues a car that is going over a cliff yeah a woman who is trapped in a car well i liked the the when his ex-wife is on the rooftop the carla gugino rescue uh because i think i mentioned earlier like that's one of the times when like they haven't yet ramped the spectacle up to eyeball melting proportions <laughs> yeah it's just one woman in a collapsing building and she's like and it's still a little ridiculous and over the top but she's like jump into this thing and then oh there's the stairwell opens up she's got to jump to this other thing and there's fire and she's falling and it feels very like visceral it feels very real so i i was my favorite of those all right, uh, I'm actually going to go with the car rescue. You liked I, the car rescue. I did like it because I thought that it was very tense. But the rock's not even there. For I that know one. he's not even there for it, but they did a really good job of making her helpless, but helpless in circumstances that were not her own creation, right? But I mean, that's ninety percent of this movie. But like her, her leg is stuck, and then they've got things falling down on them and then all the stuff that those guys try doesn't end up working and then in the end it's the fact that he has to like slash those tires so i thought the car rescue was very good yeah and i wouldn't have thought to do the tires i would have just been like oh she's gonna die and that one was good and maybe the other one i mentioned was good too because uh again they haven't yet ramped up to you know full-on gonzo spectacle so you have a really clear sense of like what's at stake and mm-hmm. how they could fit like you know like oh the reason she can't get out is because this pillar is falling on the hood later in the movie it's just when it's just like explosion after explosion you have no sense of like human bodies in a place it's <laughs> yeah. just mess and nonsense in those earlier ones it yeah they're because they're much more human scale i think they're genuinely more tense what is the movie mvp Oh, so who is the character who is not The Rock who is doing the most valuable work here? Yes, who is a character who is not Dwayne Johnson that is the MVP oh, of this right. film? We said we were going to try to call him Dwayne Johnson and we, we, we've completely forgotten That's already. okay. I think we'll come back to it. Uh, well, who did you enjoy the most uh, of the non-Rock performers? I'm going to give it to emasculated British guy. He <laughs> that had, that guy so had nothing to do except stand there and be fake British. I can't even conjure his face in my mind. He's just like the blandest dude and his entire job is is to be basically the damsel in distress and 
good for him so you you just you like that that he was uh i i appreciated the fact that that dude clearly knew his role was like third fiddle and that's what it was i well i said earlier that i enjoyed um uh Ale- daddario is that her last name alexander daddario i enjoyed alexander daddario again i think there, there's certainly problems with her character but i think yeah so the fact that she manages to like anchor all these scenes that the yeah. rock is nowhere near uh i think is is, is pretty impressive uh paul giamatti i normally like a lot but his character was so uh, superfluous to the film but there's the most ridiculous movement in a movie jam-packed with ridiculous moments the most ridiculous goes to him because at one point so his only job in the movie is to constantly remind you that bad things are happening somewhere else at one point the the, the university building they're in is struck by an earthquake <laughs> and he grabs the reporter's like we've got to get under the desk we're gonna die and they jump under the desk and he says oh oh pray for the people of san francisco <laughs> Which is uh, laugh out loud stupid, right? If an earthquake hits us right now, I'm I am not going to pray for the people of Baltimore. I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be worried about myself. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, where does this movie fit into the canon of rock films? I don't know how many rock films you've seen. I will. You'll see that. I haven't seen a lot of the rock films, uh, but I do feel like I instantly used like, oh, we should do San Andreas first. And I instantly knew of it and thought that was a good choice because I feel like this is a very well-known movie of his. I think that this represents the kind of phase in the rock's career where they have stopped asking him to take off his shirt and like kill 8,000 people or like slice people up with a machete or whatever, right? Like this is a very um, sophisticated, I'm putting that in kind of air quotes for the rock You role. really should put air quotes well, around I that. Well, I mean, considering I've seen a ton of rock movies and I know what you put him in a film for. And this to me is like the respectable part of like the rock canon. Yeah, my sense of the rock, excuse me, my sense of Dwayne Johnson's Dwayne work Johnson. is that he doesn't, whether he has a lot of range or not, he is not featured in a wide range of things. Like he plays basically variations on a theme. Yeah, uh, yeah I feel like this was it was kind of maybe missing a little bit of the the, the humor that you, you know, that I think he's capable of. But yeah, for the most part, this seems like a very er Dwayne Johnson character. Well, even what even knowing what Brian has said, and it's caused me to rethink San Andreas. I still enjoyed the film, and I still recommend people watch it. Uh, I didn't enjoy it, and don't recommend people watch it. So take that. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. You can follow us on Twitter at 10 Movies and remember to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. 10 Movies, our artisanal handcrafted podcast, is brought to you every week with help from Seth Everett and Anthony Gill. See you next week. <laughs>